What's up? And welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nocere from aclearmind.com. All right, and welcome to episode number 26, the first episode of the new year and new decade. I hope you all had an enjoyable end to 2019 and are ready for a year of abundance in your life. And remember, you are the one responsible for creating abundance, whether it's financial, emotional, social, romantic, whatever that you choose. And the higher that your being vibrates, the easier it becomes to manifest what you want in your life. Now, if you ever need any help with raising your level of consciousness and how to manifest, just reach out to me. I work with individuals and small groups over the phone and also do workshops for teams and parents in person. You can go to my website, aclearmind.com, for more details on how to work with me and exactly what I do. Now, the guest for this episode is Alistair McCaw. He is one of the world's leading figures in human performance, team culture, and leadership. He's soon going to release his fourth book and has already written others titled Becoming a Great Team Player, Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach, and Champion Minded, which is also the name of his podcast and available on Apple Podcast and YouTube. Now, I follow him on Twitter because he posts some really impactful statements and I decided to reach out to him and see if he'd be open enough to being a guest on the podcast, which obviously he was and I appreciate. Now, he also has his own athletic journey, which he talks about in this interview. And of course, we discuss what role his parents played on his journey and advice that he has for parents raising athletes today. Now, as usual, I end the episode with my takeaways from the interview, so please stick around and listen to the very end. All right, enjoy. All right, Alistair, thank you so much for being here today. How's everything going down in Florida for you? It's going well, thank you. Um, obviously, the winters are a little bit easier here with, with, with good weather, so um, also just nice to have a little bit of cooler weather. Uh, so yeah, very yeah, perfect. Can't complain. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. So I know you work with a lot of high-level athletes and you do workshops and group talks and you're an author and I want to hear all about that. But I want to start with the focus on your athletic journey. I know you help others with their athletic journeys, but I want to hear about yours. So if you wouldn't mind going into the Wayback Machine and start when you were a child, what sports you played, where you grew up, all that stuff. Okay. I think that, I think the best question is what sports didn't I play? So, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, super fortunate. Um, I was brought up in South Africa, uh, which obviously has a very good climate. I was brought up in Johannesburg. That's where I went to school. Um, the schooling system system there back in the day. And, and and in fact, it is still the same is really, really geared towards a lot of multi-sports. They encourage you to play uh, as many sports as possible. So a, a typical schooling day in South Africa would be, um, you know, sometimes you'd, you'd get to school beforehand uh, to play some soccer or, or play some rugby or whatever it is with your friends before you'd, you'd start class at 7, 7 a.m. Uh, school, would, school would usually finish at about 1, 2 o'clock. Um, you know, we'd have two break times where, again, you'd play sports in between, uh, in between classes. So you can just see where I'm going here, a lot of sports. 
And then after school would be all the activities laid on. Um, you could choose from a variety of sports. I played seven sports in a year. Um, I mean, cross oh, wow. country, tennis, rugby, cr- uh, cricket, soccer, you name it, all the sports. And it was just, for me, it, it was just the best, um, for me, it was just the best years because, you know, you're with your friends, you're playing lots of sports, you're, you, you don't know it at the time, but you're just, you know, gaining a lot of, 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 of benefits there in terms of your social, uh, socializing, your multi-skills, your, your, uh, your, your abilities to play, to play all sports. So really, really lucky. Um, I, I, started uh, getting a little bit more serious with tennis around the age of 11, 12. I wanted to be a professional player, uh, but um, coaching was very tough. But it was very expensive. I didn't come from a family with a lot of money, so we couldn't afford that. But I did reach a, a decent level. I reached uh, close on the top 10 in, in under 14s in the country. Um, like I said, the, the, the financial side was very, very difficult. So I took up running uh, because that's not expensive. All you need is a pair of running shoes. And worked really hard at that. I became the under-16 um, South African five-kilometer champion on the road. And, wow. yeah, and then I got injured in running, decided to take up some cycling to um, to help with my recovery and my rehab. Thought to myself, well, I like this. Why don't I try triathlon, which is running and, running and biking, um, pretty much like triathlon without the swimming. And got hooked on that. Uh, became two-time South African junior champion, captain the national team, uh, went on to, to compete in five world championships in, in that sport. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really, really blessed to have a good sporting career, not many injuries, and I can put that down to playing a lot of sports at a very young age. I didn't have one career-threatening injury. Um, I had a good 10-year career of, like I said, five world championships, 29 marathons. I didn't have, I didn't, probably people won't believe me here, but I didn't have one injury that kept me out for more than four weeks. Um, so, yeah, and, and I put it down to all those multi sports. So, you think that cross training really helped you? Absolutely. I mean, it conditions the body. Um, I mean, you see, you just see athletes who've, who've you know played a few sports. They're, they're they've got more of an athletic body. They're more just they're just more stable. They have more balance. Um, their joints are stronger. I mean, it's it, you can see the difference. And and you know, for me, obviously, I didn't realize it at the time playing so many sports as a kid that it would benefit me much later on because you know injuries are, are what get in the way of 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 progressing in sports and and getting getting momentum. So yeah, key key factor. Mm-hmm. So I hear this argument on both sides with cross training, but then you do eventually have to specialize at something if you want to pursue it, especially professionally. Around what age do you think people should start focusing on just the one sport? Yeah, you know, it's a gray area because it just depends what sport it is. Gymnastics, of course, you need to be you need to be at the top at 14. So, you know, that's different. Uh, figure skating, also very, very young as well. But if we're looking at sports, let's just say tennis, golf, uh, soccer, football, whatever, you you know, these type of sports, you should, in my opinion, you should only specialize if you are really, you know, one of the best in your age group in the country at probably around about 14. That's more or less the age of, if you had to push me. I mean, Federer, for example, he was just speaking on, on TV just a few months ago. I think I posted it up on, on my Twitter uh, that he played all sports. He played squash. He played soccer until he was 14, 15. 
Um, and he said that's what's given him the longevity in his tennis career. Mm. Uh, he's 30, what's he, he's 38 now. He's still in the top three in the world. Uh, probably had one of the, well, he's probably had one of the best careers, not many injuries. And again, you look at an athlete that played a lot of sports as a kid. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it adds up. And that's coming from probably one of the best sports persons, uh, sports people around where, um, you know, even he says, you know, play a lot of sports until at least the age of 14, like he did. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not just saying that because he says that, but in my experience of, of 25 years of working in the sports performance industry, uh, seeing both sides of it, some kids specializing too early, um, you know, parents having these, I mean, being disillusional, thinking their kid is, is, is going to be a professional one day and they're not even, you know, anywhere near the level at 14, 15, you know, you've got to be realistic as well. You know, I, I you know, we, we talk about believing in dreams and believing in yourself, but you've also got to be realistic to what your level is at say 13, 14 in, in those sports. You've got to be near the top. You've got to be competing with the best at that age to have a chance of being, uh, being, you know, a, a, a good professional athlete later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what if somebody's not as blessed as Roger Federer physically? Do you think that's still the same? Well, welcome to the other seven, <laughs> seven point nine billion billion of the world. Then, uh, <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing. You know, you talk about are, are champions born or or made? And you know, I believe it's like a an eighty twenty, if you want to call it. You know, you you need a certain element to be born into it. G genetics, of course. Um, the right coaching environment, parents that are supportive, putting you in the right environment and so on. And then, of course, it comes down to hard work. Nobody has, nobody sees the work that a Federer, a Nadal, um, a, a Ronaldo, a LeBron James, that they put in, you know, Kobe Bryant was, was known to put in hours, you know, starting at 4.30 in the morning and finishing at some ridiculous hours. So, uh, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to have those qualities. I mean, it's not just talent. Um, you know, you've got to have some talent, but then it's, for me, it's eight, the rest of it is 80% of the hard work and, and the journey. Mm, that's great. And I imagine a lot of support uh, along the way. And, and you mentioned that you didn't have the financial support because your family situation, but how did your family support you along your journey as an athlete? Well, here's what's funny is my parents uh, both worked full-time jobs. So they were gone in the morning from seven and get, and would get home at seven in the evening. So I was, I was by myself all day. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I believe this is what gave me independency. This is what gave me accountability, ownership, all these things that I find today is lacking in a lot of kids, not all, but, but most of them is that um, they're too protected. It's you know, um, there's things, things are too structured for them. For example, I had to, at the age of, 11, 12, organize my own practices, organize my own transport to get there and ride or run or, or, or catch a lift with, with a friend or, for example, catch a ride with a friend. Um, you know, I, 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 my parents were never there to see, to see many practices or, you know, I can count on one hand how many times they maybe watched me compete. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for it now. I mean, it's, it's made me who I am and it made me very independent very early. It, you know, I handled... Um, I learned how to handle situations by myself at a very young age, confrontation, um, dealing with cheating opponents, dealing with, with all these, these elements. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying, hey, parents, 
don't go to your kids' practices or matches, but if you want to make uh, independent, accountable uh, adults, then, you know, it definitely starts in, in, when they're kids. And, you know, sport's a great way to do that. Don't be at every practice. Don't be at every competition, you know, because every time they're looking at you, they're dependent on you. And, you know, you want to make them independent. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right, parents these days, especially in the US can be so overly involved. And that's just unfortunately, the culture that's built there. And, and when they're overly involved, they start to look at things, they start to compare their child to other children, and that they're viewing either in front of them, or even on TV or, or whatever. And then they start creating this fear that exists within them. And then they say, Oh, my God, my son or my daughter's not going to be good enough. We need to do something. Let's go talk to the coach. Um, let's go talk to whoever it is to try and get them in a better situation, according to the parent. But I think they're really stifling them compared to the way that you were brought up. No, I, I, absolutely. And you know what, it's not just the United States. It's it's in other countries today as well. It's the generation we're also dealing with. Um, and of course, it, this generation have been brought up by the generation before. So uh, whose fault is it really? It's, is it this generation's or is it us, the generation that have, um, you know, <laughs> that have brought these kids into the world of how we have brought them up. But for sure, I mean, um, I saw a tweet this morning by, I can't remember who it was on, on Twitter. He just said, you know, the difference is, is that in Europe and Brazil, you know, the kids are playing on the street and they're, like I said, they're organizing their own practices and, they're sorting out their own quarrels out there. As we're here in the United States, everything's structured. Everything's organized. Your kid doesn't get into the team. The parent is calling the coach that evening um, on the phone angry uh, because the kid isn't a starter. Then what do they do? They take the kid to another, another club or another academy. What does that tell the kid? That when you fail, don't worry. We'll just, we'll just find somewhere else where you're going to eventually succeed. You know, No, it doesn't teach them. Uh, you know, the, the, the things that you need in life is that, you know, you're going to fail. Mm. You're going to make mistakes. There's going to be adversity. How do you deal with those things? And sport is an excellent way for kids to learn how to deal with adversity and learn how to deal with challenges. Mm. So I know in your work, you help athletes deal with adversity. So what do you do to help them with that aspect? Well, it depends what age they are. You know, if they're a very young age, obviously you have to involve the parents. Um, you know, you, you, you know, the, the parents are the most important person in their lives and they should be. So you've got to have a relationship with the parent that you're working with as well of that kid to teach them the right things to say at the right time to that child. What do they say to that child on the way to practice? What do they say to that child during practice if they're watching. Hopefully nothing, because it should be the coach who's coaching, not the parent. Mm -hmm. um, encouragement is fine, but encourage everybody. Don't just encourage your kid. You know, there's I've got certain guidelines of, of you know, what would what would be a better parent at, you know, to help their, their kid is, you know, don't put your kid on a pedestal. Applaud the other team too. Um, you know, reward effort, not result. These are important things for 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 parents to know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, this seems like it's a good opportunity to go into one of your books that you've written called champion minded. What does champion minded hmm. mean and how do you become champion minded? Yeah. Champion minded was actually a little bit of, 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 
of my own story, so to say, is that I wasn't the most talented kid. Um, I wasn't the most gifted. I didn't have many opportunities to get proper coaching. But one thing I learned very young was if you developed a good attitude, a good work ethic, good effort, um, you got all the, um, the controllables in place of, of being on time, doing the extra work, all these things, that is what champion minded is, is, is about is you might not be the most talented kid, the most skilled, but if you're willing to pitch up every day, put in the work, face adversity, overcome challenges, uh, be willing to outwork the rest. That is what champion minded is about. It's about taking your opportunities. It's about making and taking your opportunities. It's about preparing the best. It's about, uh, motivating yourself more because at the end of the day, that's who you have to really motivate is yourself. It's about having the right mindset. And, you know, champion minded is about excellence, not just in sports, but in life. What is sports teaching us in life? So that's, that's how the champion minded um, uh, book or, or approach was, was developed. Mm -hmm. Now I think these are all great points. But my experience as a parent to a, an athlete, that if I were to have said these things, hey, you know, you need to dress like this, you know, talk like this and perform like this. And it would have gone in one ear and out the other. Whereas if you would have talked to my daughter, <laughs> it'd be completely different, even if you said the exact same thing that I said. So how do you think parents can help mm -hmm. their child and their children become champion minded and follow these these great mm. aspects that you're you're talking about well first of all you know you, you have to be the example as a parent is, is that you know you've got to be modeling what you're what you're asking then of them as well you know if you're asking your kid to behave and to have a good attitude and so on well then you've got to have that as well not just uh, on the on the sidelines but in life generally as well you know you are that example but finding the right coaches finding the right people around your kid that have the right values the things that you believe in, um, that's what's definitely going to help your child. You know, so for example, um, I can particularly think of, I'm not going to name names, but uh, he was a former number two in the world in tennis, uh, won a Grand Slam. I'm sure there's some tennis players out there that will eventually figure out this guy. Uh, I worked with his kid. And basically, um, you know, his kid is now a professional player. And, you know, I said to him, hey, you – I mean, you're a Grand Slam champion. You're, you were number two in the world. You, you beat Andre Agassi. You beat Pete Sampras. You beat all these players. And you're asking me to, to help your kid. And he says, well, you believe what I believe, but he won't listen to me. And, that, and, and there you go. I mean, so mm -hmm. if there's a parent who <laughs> was a Grand Slam champion, well, then this is, this is going to be music to the ears of the parents listening out there is that, no, if if a kid whose whose parent was a Grand Slam champion, a world champion, if he's not listening to him, then you know probably your kids aren't going to listen to you all the way in that. So don't take it personally. Just find good people with good values, um, good ethics, uh, who who communicate well. Uh, coaches, I'm talking, and that that's going to be the best way for your kid to learn. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so important to be a good role model, and I think a lot of parents lose sight of that that we want our children to act in a certain way, but we don't act in that way. It's almost like that. Do yeah, as, absolutely. Do as I... Example. It, yeah. yeah, as parents, as parents, sorry, Gabe, as parents, you're leaders. Mm. Uh, you're leading your kids, so to say. But first of all, you've got to learn how to lead yourself. It's, it's, it's the same principle in anything, in coaching, in, in business, is that 
the, the, the most important person to lead is yourself. That is the example. Your kids are going to be looking to you as the example. And, you know, if you're telling your kids to eat properly and so on, and then you're having a, you know, a hamburger and fries and, and so on and so forth, then obviously they're not going to take that example seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, you, in, in other words, you are the role models of, of your kids. Yeah. I, I, man, that's so powerful to hear that. I think so many parents can really start to see that, that it's more important for me to behave in that way than it is for my children to behave that way. Yeah. And, and you know, Gabe, it's not easy. I mean, I'm not a parent. So first of all, I, you know, I'm going to admit that it's not easy to be a parent. I mean, I work closely with parents. I can just imagine um, how tough it is. I mean, you want to see your kids succeed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a no brainer. You want to see your kids succeed. And, you know, uh, it's tough to see your kids fail. It's tough to see your kids struggle. But, you know, that, those are the things that are teaching them to be tougher, to, to let them go through that, to to gain grit and resilience, that they become strong. You know, they have fortitude as adults. You know, those are great opportunities to do that. So, yeah, it's it's not easy being a parent. Um, you know, you want the best for your kid and, and um you want to, you, you know, you, you're not always going to get it right. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's for sure. I definitely have my, uh, my mistakes along the way. Um, now you, yeah. this, you, you're absolutely right that we want our children to succeed, but sometimes we go about it the wrong way. Now you've dealt with a lot of high level athletes you know, if you don't want to name names, that's definitely fine. But if you do want to name names, go ahead. But how did some of the athletes that you've worked with, how did their parents help them on their journeys? Was, were there any kind of themes that you saw with their parents? Yeah, I would say with, with athletes that have really made it to the top, I'm talking about top 50 in the world, you know, world champions, etc. There's There's been at least one parent that's been maybe deemed crazy okay <laughs> um now, now crazy now crazy has a a lot of different meanings you know crazy to me can be something uh, different to somebody else for example but you know to do something extraordinary be it play a play a sport play an instrument whatever you have to be extreme there's there's imbalance um you're going to be different you're going to be crazy you're that crazy parent for example so you know, you'll, you'll see that there's at least one parent that's going to be deemed a little bit crazy or maybe even both. So that is one of the, um, one of the areas. And here's the thing. I understand that. So I understand their inadverted commas craziness because to, to get to the top in anything, anything, entertainment, business, whatever, requires imbalance, requires a lot of, I don't like the word sacrifice because things are choices but requires a lot of tough decisions, requires a lot of hours, requires a lot of dedication over the top that other people would say you're crazy. That's what it takes. So that is one common denominator to get to the top in anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in order to be crazy, you have to love your sport. Absolutely, there's gotta be passion. I mean, um, that has to be the, top, the, the you know, to be self-motivated, you've got to have passion and, and, and love for what you do. You've got to have a hunger for, for what you do. It's, there's no way around it. You can only be motivated by others for so long. Mm -hmm. And then that wears off, you know. Um, you've got to love what you do. It's got to be something, you know, in the top athletes that I've seen that love what they do, they're just constantly thinking about it. Mm -hmm. They're switched on all the time. You know, last week I was in, in England and I was – I was with the Liverpool ladies uh, uh, soccer team there who play in the, the premiership. 
And, uh, you know, I was chatting to the coach that would just said, you know, the top level performers are just, we're just switched on the whole time. You know, you get home, you're still thinking about it. You're in the shower, you're still thinking about it. You're going to bed, you're still thinking about it. You wake up, you're still thinking about it. That is the dedication and the commitment uh, that it takes to be the best in anything. And, you know, that's, it's a very, very tough thing to do. Yeah. How do you think parents can help their children get to that point? Or can they even help them? Does it just have to be the the child's decision to get there? Yeah. Parents need to step back. It needs to be the child's journey. The child needs to decide what they would like to do and what they would want to do. As in, you know, provide the opportunity and then step back. You know, get the right the right environment, the right coaches, et cetera, whatever it be. Here's the thing. Not every kid wants to be a champion. So parents need to get this out of their head. It's not, not every kid wants to be a Grand Slam champion or, you know, at the World Cup, for example. Maybe they just want to play sport and be with their friends. Have, you know, parents don't get that sometimes. And, you know, some of the best athletes in the world started off just playing games and just, you know, they just wanted to be with their friends. And then it, es- then it escalated and gain momentum to something else. So, you know, if the parents are involved in the sport from a very, very young age and they're taking them to competition every weekend and they're playing a ridiculous amount of, of competitions and they're all, the parents are always there, it's too much. I can guarantee you that 95% of those kids burn out. Mm. And here's what the funny thing I hear is, well, you know, my kid is going to be that 5%. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, my, my kid is going to be that outlier. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, you know, that's usually sometimes what you hear all the time. And, you know, it's such a pity because what's the stat? More than 70% of kids drop out of sports before the age of 14. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? Yeah. Because, because of parents, because of pressure, because you know what? When they signed up to play the sport, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they're getting thrown into competition. They're getting thrown into rankings. They're getting thrown into being judged on how they compete. Uh, you know, so, you know, as parents, you know, we can lose track, even though I'm not a parent myself, but I've been around this industry and environment for now over 25 years. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you, you talk about this. And it's exactly what I released my last episode about it. And it's, it was called Why Do Children Drop Out of Sports? And I talk about that exactly what you said that children we or parents put their children into sports for a specific reason and it's usually from a place of our heart we want them to grow and to have fun and to learn but then as their journey goes the focus becomes about something else it comes about how they look how their child is perceived how they were perceived as a parent then about getting on another team and then scholarships and then maybe professionally and even professionals and i'm sure you've seen it in your field they lose focus on their heart goal of why they even started playing sports in the first place. Yeah. I mean, ask any kid why they started playing sport. They're going to say because it was fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's no wonder that, you know, the kid gets, you know, he gets better or she gets better. And then all of a sudden there's a fitness trainer involved. And then all of a sudden there's, other elements involved and they didn't sign up for that in the beginning. They signed up to, you know, to go hit a ball or kick a ball or, or have some fun. And, you know, parents have these, you know, this, this thing in their mind that the kids are already like, you know, 10, 11 years old and they're already 
talking about scholarships and possible schools and so on and so forth, especially here in the United States, it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you, I mean, because I, I, I consult to a lot of colleges in the United States, but, you know, where kids have, you know, received scholarships, but they absolutely hate what they do. Mm. Mm. They they're just basically they're just basically trying to live out those those days at the school a college and get an education but you know they have to play a sport um, you know but they absolutely hate what they do because of all those years of 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 playing that they really didn't enjoy it wow and it's sad to see you know it's you you want to be enjoying those years in college and playing sports and and so on and so forth in fact speaking to a lot of a lot of college coaches they really look. Uh, a lot of the times for athletes that have been late bloomers, mm. uh, athletes that have started their sport a little bit later. So, you know, we have this age of most, most kids start at say seven, eight playing a sport, you know, if they're going to be good at say 18, because that 10, if you want to go with the 10 year rule, the 10,000 hours, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time they're 18, they go to college. But um, what was I, what was I actually going to say about that? Uh, Oh, late bloomers. Sorry, my, my bad. Um, is that kids that started at say eleven, twelve, and they've been able to? They're they're improving. They're improving. They're improving, and they're able to get to that level. They're maybe not the best, but coaches, especially in college, are looking at those kids. Why? Because they're still motivated. They still love the sport. They're still growing. They're still get, getting better. Instead of the kids that were the best at twelve years old, thirteen year old, they won everything. Then the other kids maybe got a little bit, uh, you know, maybe they were athletically better at that age. They were coached betterly at that age, but the other kids catch up at 15, 16, mm-hmm. either from an athletic point of view, a uh, physical point of view, or from a skill point of view, and they start to beat those kids. And those kids aren't used to it because they were always winning when they were 12 and 13 years old. They were the, they were the U.S. champion. They were the state champion. They were this and that. And they begin to hate the sport at 15, 16, because they never learned how to lose when they were younger. Mm. So again, you know, these are the things that happen of why kids drop out of sports at, at 16 or 18 or whatever, because early success can be dangerous, you know, mm. um, because they're winning all the time. They never learned how to lose. And then it really hurts when they're 16, 17, they're getting, they're getting beat by kids they maybe beat up on when they were 12, 13. And they're just not used to it. They can't handle the adversity. They can't handle the failure because they never have been taught how to fail. Wow. I, I'm, I want to go back a little bit because I'm, I'm really floored that you come in contact with so many athletes, even at the college level, who hate their sport. What do you tell somebody or how do you work with somebody who tells you that, especially when they're like a, maybe a sophomore and they still have a couple more years to go? Yeah, they won't tell you. I mean, they won't tell you. I, I can see it a mile away of who, who's enjoying what they're doing. Um, you can see the athletes that are really invested into it. They're very committed into it. It's one of the most frustrating things for coaches as well because a lot of a lot of kids and parents will say the right things to get their kid into the school or, or the college, and, and then they get in there and they see that the kid's not motivated at all. Um, they won't tell you, uh, obviously, because out of fear of losing the scholarship or um, – you know, they don't want to be known as that kid that doesn't really want to be there. So for example, but you know, your actions will always prove your, your, your effort level, you know, uh, or, or your interest level, should I say, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't hide that your, your, your interest level will always be exposed by your commitment level, your, your effort level. Mm-hmm. 
So how can you help somebody who you see that they're not enjoying themselves? They won't admit it, but how do you, how do you help them to try and either break out of that or <laughs> at least talk about it? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think it gets back to everything with, with your purpose, your greater purpose and your reason why. Mm. So, you know, I would try and motivate them by saying, look, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity. Maybe this is the, the last time you're going to compete in this sport. You've worked so hard all your life to get here. You want to finish, you want to finish strong. How do you want to be remembered? What legacy do you want to leave when you leave the school? What do you want to be known for? Somebody that was not committed, um, wasn't passionate, didn't give their best, or do you want to be known as someone that, you know, uh, uh, worked hard? worked for their teammates, you know, maybe take another, another way of motivating is maybe take the, the focus off yourself and becoming the best teammate you can be. You know, my third book, becoming a great team player is all about that as well is taking the focus off yourself and making others around you better, serving others around you better. That is a great purpose. Mm. So there's, there's different ways that you can uh, try and motivate them because you could understand that they don't want to, they didn't choose to be like that. You know, things have panned out and they've through experiences in their life and through who knows what they've gone through trauma, uh, whatever through their sport. You know, there's a lot of sad stories out there of, of kids who've been through very, very difficult, um, junior years in their sport, be it by abuse or be it by whatever it may be. So there's a lot of history there. Mm. So for you just to say, Hey, enjoy your sport. Hey, have some fun. You know, there's a lot of history there. So, you know, sometimes you have to go deeper into it, but the main thing is to find a greater purpose for them. Mm. And, 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 you know, how do you want to be remembered when you leave the school mm. as, as someone that worked their hardest, that gave their all for the team? Well, you still have that opportunity. So, you know, that, that could be one or two ways. That's awesome. I think parents can ask themselves that same question as well. How do you want to be remembered as a parent to your child? How does your, how do you want your child to remember you as a parent? It could be so powerful. Yeah. I mean, what is at the end of the day, what does a kid want? Mm-hmm. They want to, they want to be known that they were loved unconditionally by their parents. Mm. That is what a kid wants. You know, what does an 11, 12 year old know when they, you know, when, when they win or lose, it's not necessarily about the result. It's about, they feel they've let their parent down. So, you know, they look at the reaction of the parent and, and, you know, are they low energy? They, they feel, you know, that that's what makes a kid feel, you know, feel as a, as a failure. Mm-hmm. So it's so important as a parent to stay level, you know, not, don't get up too high for the wins. Don't, don't go down too low for the, for the lows, you know, stay in the middle there, reward effort, reward attitude, reward the right things, not the wins and the losses. Mm. When you reward the right things, the wins and the losses will, will, will take care, uh, will take care of themselves. You know, that's, that's the best advice I can give to parents there. That's awesome. Well, you answered my, one of my big questions that I always ask my guests. So I, I appreciate that. Now I know you have a few books. Do you want to let us know a little bit about those and then also how people can get a hold of you to do anything else that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, my first book, Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach, is obviously for, for the coaches out there. So, um, you know, that's a lot of my experiences and, and the seven traits I feel that every great coach needs. 
Um, the second book was Champion Minded, which is obviously the book we spoke about as well, um, about maximizing your potential, about being a better person, about learning from, from your sports. It's a very uh, easy to read book. Um, you know, probably kids from the age of 12, 13 can read that book. You know, chapters are very, are very short, excuse me. Um, you know, they could read a chapter a day, which is two pages and get, and get a message from it. So that's a great book for young athletes, even into college, for example. And then the third book is more for teams, becoming a great team player. And again, a book for any ages, a, a book for a, a kid and a team that can learn how to become a better teammate, uh, support their teammates, improve the culture of the team, for example. So those are the three books out at the moment. My fourth book um, will be coming out early 2020, and that's all about mindset and attitude. So I'm pretty excited about that book. Mm, awesome. And if people wanted to bring you out to work with their groups, how would they go about doing that? Sure. Um, you know, they could they could email me on um, McCaw Method, M-C-C-A-W Method at AOL.com. Um, that's my email. And then um, my social media, I'm on Twitter, at Alistair McCaw. That's with two L's uh, in Alistair. Um, Facebook, I have a page, which uh, I put some stuff out there, especially in, for youth sports, uh, motivation. Um, that's Alistair McCaw page. And on Instagram, which is more motivation, um, is uh, be champion minded. Awesome. Very good resources. Alistair, I, I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you spending time with us today and keep doing what you're doing. Best wishes to you in the future and everything that you do. Awesome stuff, Gabe. I appreciate it. And uh, all the best with, um, with the podcast and everything else. So what were your biggest takeaways? Alistair has worked with numerous athletes over his 25 years in the industry, so naturally he's going to have a lot of amazing advice, which he did in the interview. So I'll just try and focus on one or two of those from the interview that impacted me the most. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here, but one of them is when Alistair said, if you want to make independent and accountable adults, it starts in childhood and that parents should want to make them independent. And I think most parents can agree that making their children become independent and accountable adults is a goal for them as a parent. But what can often happen is parents can actually do the opposite of that intention, unconsciously, of course. Now, it's natural to want to help our children when it comes from our heart, but there's always the other place of our being where helping our children can come from, which is our ego. And if you might remember from previous episodes... That fear is the fuel of the ego, or as Master Yoda says, is the path to the dark side. And when helping our children is driven by an unconscious or conscious fear, parents can often blame coaches, referees, teammates, or even their children themselves. We can lose sight of the fact that children are still learning and making mistakes and that's actually the best way to learn. It's much easier in life to learn and grow when we lose a game or make mistakes in the sporting arena than it is when we win or have success. When we view through the lens of fear, we can see, quote unquote, failures our children are having as defining them that way. So naturally, we don't want them to make mistakes. When we don't want them to make mistakes, we can overhelp 
and do more for them instead of letting them figure out life on their own. Now, of course, it's important to help children as well. I'm not condoning never helping and making their journey more difficult than it naturally is. There's always that balance of helping, but not too much. The big key is to tune into oneself and to slow down and feel what emotions and what thoughts come up. If we tune into the possibility that we might be helping our children because it might make us look more favorable in their eyes or that we're afraid that they will think we're a bad parent if we don't help them, that's a key indicator that our ego has taken over. And remember, any negative thought or uncomfortable feeling comes from the feeling that we lack control of a situation or fear that we will lose some sort of security or fear that we won't have acceptance from our child or from others. And all three of those categories can only be fulfilled within us and not from someone or something outside of us. That's the inside-out reality that exists. The more we realize we don't have to search for anything outside of us to make us whole, the more we know that our children might be upset because we're not helping them with something and that not helping them with certain things is still the best option for them as well. That's how you build accountability. For those of you who listened to the episode I did with Mohini Bahardwaj, you might remember her parents cut her off financially when she decided to come out of retirement and try and make the next Olympics with USA Gymnastics. She had to work hard both in and out of the gym in order to make it, which she did. Now, Alistair went through a very similar experience with his family. They couldn't support him financially or even provide consistent transportation to training. He had to rely on himself to find rides and to schedule training. Now, that's what builds independence and accountability. How many of you are comfortable with letting your child truly take the reins of their sporting journey? Now, of course, it depends on the child's age, but I think few parents are comfortable with just letting go of control and leaving it up to their child to organize rides and individual training if it's about choice. Now, some parents, especially single parents who are too busy with work, have no choice but to let their child take the wheel of their athletic journey. But I'm talking about the ones who do have a choice. Now, of course, parents love to watch their child. I know I love to observe my son playing sports and doing music and anything else that he does. But I know if I'm too involved, it becomes more about me than it does about him. And it can be tough as a parent not to step in because we want to make sure our child reaches his or her potential. But stepping in too much comes at a cost. When we live with the fear that our child won't reach his or her quote-unquote potential, it essentially means that we don't think they're good enough or won't be good enough or that we're not good enough as a parent. And when we believe that, either on a conscious or unconscious level, we take too much control. Now remember what Alistair said in the interview, children today are too protected and things are too structured for them. When we're overprotective or over-controlling, we restrict the openness children crave to have in their life. That's what stunts them from reaching their potential. The development of a child is more reliant on their parents' consciousness than anyone or anything else. Any coach, any teammate, any fans, anything. So if you raise your consciousness and your child flourishes. If you want some guidance with doing that, reach out to me. Reach out to Alistair. Reach out to someone who has a high vibe and is dedicated to helping others. 
Alistair's contact info is in the episode description. And as always, you can get in touch with me at my website, aclearmind.com, or email me directly, gabe at aclearmind.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Much love to you and many blessings.